0: Merry Christmas, everybody! I hope you're in that uh, holiday spirit kind of mode going on here. Uh, that, that toy shop thing was just so kingdom. I uh, came by here on Wednesday um, and it, it was just such a beautiful thing to see uh, so many families. Um, I mean, it's not extravagant Christmas, but they get, the kids get to have something and they wouldn't otherwise have something. And there's a smile there. I mean, if you put a smile on a kid's face, who wouldn't otherwise have a smile. He did the kingdom. And, and, and it was beautiful. And to see thousands of people come in here. And then, while this was going on, we had the daycare center going on. We had the, the food shelf was open. And it, it was just like, this is Kingdomapolis here. I just love it. And, uh, that's, that's a, that, that's a good use of a building. That's, I love it. So we are in this Advent season, uh, t- picking out the themes for each of the Advent weeks. We dealt with joy and we dealt with hope. And so this morning, If you didn't already notice it, we're talking about peace. Uh, Let there be peace on earth, let it begin with me. And that's really kind of the message. I could stop right here and say, be the peace you want to see in the world, and we'd be done with it. But far be it for me to be short-winded about anything. Uh, So uh, I'll expound a little bit. Um, This is, of course, a a central theme in Christmas. We celebrate uh, peace on earth. Jesus came to bring peace. Uh, the verse I'll just use as kind of a launching point. It's the same one we, we, we looked, looked at last week when the angels showed up and announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. Here's what we heard. And suddenly there was with that one angel, the angel of the Lord, a multitude of heavenly hosts. And they're praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Jesus came to bring peace. And because he came to bring peace, we who are his followers... We who are his body, the body of Christ, are to embody peace. In fact, we're to be ruled by peace. we we're, we're the means by which the peace that he planted with his life, death, and resurrection, we're the means, the conduit, through which that peace continues to grow in this world. And so Paul tells us this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, above all, above all, this is the most important thing he's saying, clothe yourselves with love. The same way you put on clothes every day before you go out of the house, hopefully, uh, you uh should put on love. And love is defined by pointing us to, to the cross. Here's how we know what love is, John says. That Jesus Christ gave his life for us, so also we should give our lives for one another. Wrap yourselves in that kind of love every day, because that binds together everything in perfect harmony. All of the fragmentation of this world, all the disunity, all the hostility, is the result of people lacking that kind of love. But I'm not done yet, Dan. Keep it up there. And then he says... And let the peace of Christ, don't toy with me, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We're to be ruled by the peace of Christ. That's the kind of rule that that the lordship of Jesus is all about. He rules you with peace. Who wouldn't want to come under that kind of a rule? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be Lord in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. The body is to be a peace-spreading, peace-manifesting body, And so to belong to the body means you're called to embody that kind of peace, the peace of Christ. And so if we wrap ourselves in love, we will be manifesting that kind of peace. Because if we're wrapping ourselves in that kind of love, that love, Paul says, binds everything together in harmony. And everything that's fragmented about us and fragmented about the world is what causes anxiety and conflict and all of that. To put on self-sacrificial love is to do the opposite of that, so by definition, it's to manifest peace. That's what the Bible means by the word shalom, which we'll be talking about here in a moment. But First, I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to listen to a song. Abba Father, I just thank you for every person in this auditorium and every person listening through podcasts and any other means, and I pray, God, that this message, Lord, would, would be a, a means by which you, as empowered you, by your Spirit, to open up uh, the avenues in our heart and mind and in our lives to have the peace of God, the shalom of God, flow into us and flow through us. And Lord, I pray that you would wake us up to anything in our minds and hearts and lives that are an obstacle to that, that keep us from experiencing that love that binds all things together and the peace that comes with it. Anything that is is inconsistent with the rule of God, Lord, wake us up to it, and by the power of your Spirit, free us from it, that we could be a people who manifest your peace and who spread your peace. As your body, we submit ourselves to you right here and right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to listen to this song, it's called Peace on Earth, um, but not the song that we just sang. This is a little bit different. It's by U2, uh, written by Bono. Got any U2 fans here? Yeah, I messed up a couple, okay. And the thing I like about some of Bono's songs, anyways, uh, is that he's very honest. Um, he communicates in a very kind of raw way sometimes, and this is one of those songs. This song was uh, it was written right after there was this terrorist attack in Northern Ireland in 1998. A car bomb exploded. It was planted by the RIRA, the Real Independent, no, the Real Irish something. Uh, Anyways, it's one of those groups, and they were protesting this peace treaty that had just been signed between the Protestants and the Catholics. They didn't want this, and so they decided to blow up a bomb and kill a bunch of people. Twenty-nine people were killed, uh, six teenagers, six children, a number of tourists, including one lady who was pregnant with twins. had nothing to do with this conflict, but they just were at the wrong place in the wrong time. 220 other people were maimed, um, lost legs, lost limbs, injured in some way. And Bonham was so revolted by that that he wrote this song. In the the song, you'll hear he he lists the names of the children that that were killed on that day. And all the while, he's he's singing, where's that peace on earth that Jesus was supposed to bring? So let's listen to this. The thing that captures me about this song is just the the sense of uh, the way he communicates this frustration, uh, almost despair, and this disgust for the lack of peace on earth. This disgust towards this, this mindless, diabolical blowing up of people's lives, and um, you can just you can, you can just hear it when he's saying, "I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of the sorrow. Sick of hearing again, and again, peace on earth." But every day we we sing it all the, uh, every Christmas time. But history and 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 uh, history of the song don't rhyme, and so it just doesn't match. So what's it worth? And um, you know, Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Where's that peace on earth? He's just asking a very very raw question that I think is is so crucial for us to ask. And that may sound like a real downer song to play for a Christmas service. Uh, and I guess it is, now that I think about it, but, um, you're, wondering, you know, you're supposed to cheer me out, and not make me depressed. Gosh, talk about the positive things, why don't you? But here's the thing. I really don't think that we will, or at least most people will not, I know I certainly did not take seriously the call to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart until I got that disgusted with the mindless, relentless violence that characterizes human history. You, you, we've got to get to the point where we are so disgusted by it, we don't want anything to do with it. And see, when we acknowledge the reality of, of uh, just the, 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 our propensity towards violence and, and, and acknowledge you know, and look it in the face and see it and, and get, get to that point, then we're at a point where we can say, I would rather die than participate in that, and now you're ready. To submit to the rule of the peace of Christ. I, I I got to this point maybe, uh, seven, eight years ago, watching the news during the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war and, and, and just seeing the, the, every day, the loss of life, civilians and soldiers. And then every day almost seeing somebody, you know, their kids got blown up and so they're, they're, they're pledging vengeance. We will, we will avenge our loved ones. You know, they, sevenfold will come back at them. And and I, I look at that, and I, it's like we've been singing that song throughout history. How's that working for us? You hit them, they hit you, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. It is, I think, one of the, the sure signs that we are a fallen race, that we can be so incredibly smart in some things, but so such idiots when it comes to this. You know, We have a whole history that teaches us a lesson that this does not work, and yet we keep trying it again and again and again. It, it's, it's proof of our fallen condition. And I got to the point of looking at this where I, I, I said... I, 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 I quit. I opt out of this. I don't want anything to do with this. I woke up to the reality. This is such an important thing. The reality, the truth that every hostile, aggressive, violent thought I have in my brain, and every hostile word that I speak, and every hostile action that I take, it contributes to that kingdom of darkness that keeps this bloody merry-go-round going on and on and on. Just like every loving thought, every loving word, every loving action contributes to the kingdom of God and it affects the overall atmosphere of this planet, so also every non-kingdom thought, every hostile, aggressive, violent thought, every, every hostile word, every hostile action contributes to the kingdom of darkness that keeps that bloody mirror going around, going, going around and around and around relentlessly and and, stop. and 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 seeing that, I with a passion decided that I would make it a life mission of mine to purge from my mind every day, be vigilant. I'm purging from my mind and my mouth and my actions anything that was not consistent with peace. It was only then that I realized that I had, for the first time in my life, taken seriously the call to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Up to that point, I hadn't taken that call seriously. I thought I did, but I wasn't vigilant at, at, at bringing every thought into alignment with that. What does it mean? To have, have peace rule in your mind, if it doesn't mean you're going to purge from your mind everything that's not consistent with that peace. That's what it means to have peace rule. So also with our words, so also with our action. And I got to the point where I said, I would rather die than contribute to that. And um, that is when we're in a position to say, okay, now I will let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. And, and and now we can become peacemakers rather than contributing to the endless violence that goes on throughout history. We've got to get to the point where, where, uh, where, where Bono got. And it, it's not just about our actions. It, it, it really is about what's going on in our minds and what's going on in our hearts. Because everything we do with our words and everything we do with our actions starts as a thought. As long as we've got violence in our thoughts, we're going to have them in our words and we're going to have them in our actions. That's why Jesus said don't don't be so proud of the fact that you don't kill anybody. Uh you know, if, if you say you fool, you idiot, if you have hostility in your words and thoughts towards another, uh you're in danger of hell. And he's just saying that's all part of that same kingdom. That's why Paul tells us to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. So we have folks all over the place saying we want peace on earth, but they're not at all vigilant about having peace in their own lives. And it starts in our heart, starts in our mind. Uh, Gandhi said you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And this is the call of kingdom people. Jesus came to bring this peace and we are to embody it in order to spread it. And it starts by us being vigilant and maintaining peace in the center of our, in the center of our life. And vigilant on purging everything that's not consistent with that. Now, if we're going to really let Christ, the peace of Christ rule in our heart, I think we need to understand why humanity is not able to solve this problem and why Christ is our only hope. And we need to understand the kind of peace that we're talking about. Most people, when they say the word peace, what they mean is absence of conflict. When we talk about peace in the Middle East or peace in Syria, we're at peace talks in Syria. What we mean is we're trying to find a way to keep people from killing each other. Can we put a stop to this? And that's about as high a mark as you can shoot for in this fallen world. But just to stop the killing. And that's it's good to stop the killing. But that's not at all what the Bible means when it speaks about the peace of Christ or the peace of God. The biblical concept of peace goes way beyond that. It's captured by the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom refers to a sense of a peace that is associated with wholeness or wellness. Well-being, harmony. Uh, it's, a, it's a state of being when everything's integrated, everything's harmonious, sense of well-being. And it 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 God it characterizes God, in fact, he's a supreme example of this because he has Father, Son, the Holy Spirit existing in perfect love, he is shalom. He's the shalom God. He is perfectly harmonious, perfectly one, perfectly has well-being. And so then God creates the world as an expression of that well-being, that wholeness, that love, that delight, that harmony. He creates, he creates the world to express that harmony and then also to invite others to participate in that harmony. And so in God's original design for creation, uh, his relationship with us was to mirror the relationship he has with himself. The well-being that he is is the well-being that he gives. And, and our, his relationship with us would mirror and participate in the, the wholeness of his own being. And then our the way we relate to ourselves would replicate, would mirror and participate in the wellness of God. And then the way that we would relate to other people is to replicate and participate in the wholeness of God. And then the way that humanity as a whole cares for the earth and the animal kingdom, that also is to mirror and replicate uh, the, and participate in the wholeness, the wellness, the harmony that is God. God creates out of beauty for the purpose of spreading that beauty and inviting others in on that beauty. That's all captured by the concept of shalom. And someday, praise God, the creation will be that. It obviously isn't that right now, but someday, uh, every square inch of the, the cosmos will be bound together by the love of God that Paul talked about, that love that binds everything together. Someday that will be true of the entire cosmos. Every single thing will reflect the wholeness of God. And I believe that our peak experiences of beauty, however wonderful they are, this morning I, I was listening to some just classical music and it was just so, so beautiful. It was just moving me. I, I, I get choked up over it. But I believe that that is a mere little approximation, a little, 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 little gaze at how, how everything will look when the kingdom comes in fullness. I don't think like we can imagine how beautiful it will be. Every single thing reflecting in its own way the love of God, the harmony of God, the wholeness of God, the joy of God, the shalom of God. Shalom is the goal of everything. Now, that was the original intent and will someday be, but what happens, of course, is that we had a rebellion in the angelic realm and a rebellion in the human realm, and that fragmented that shalom. The angelic rebellion fragmented in the spiritual realm, and then the human realm, and we got co-opted into their rebellion, we brought that fragmentation down here. So now we don't have a shalom relationship with God. A whole, a whole harmonious relationship with God, and so we don't have it with ourselves, so we don't have it with our brothers and sisters, so we don't have it with the earth. And because the angels were in charge, the angels who rebelled were in charge of areas of creation, and we were in charge of the earth and the animal kingdom, when we rebelled and lost shalom, everything under us loses shalom, so now the whole creation is screwed up. Instead of being bound together in, 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 by God's love, it's fragmented by our hostility. And every act of violence, every violent thought, every violent word, Every violent deed is simply a reflection of our lacking shalom relationship with God. Once we lose that, everything else follows. Violence is simply a manifestation that we are not connected to our source. We're fragmented. And so instead of being shalom makers, we're we're, we're fragmentizers. We we, we bring disunity to things. And uh, it's inevitable. And once violence gets introduced into a human social system, it, it spreads like a disease. It's a virus. It replicates and it escalates. And that's the lesson of, of of history. In fact, you see it right there in the Bible. Our earliest history just records this and proves it. Adam and Eve rebel, right? And then they're they're fragmented. Their relationship is no longer manifesting shalom. And then Cain kills Abel. Their firstborn kills their secondborn. And then God has to protect Cain from all the other people because uh, they want to kill him. The idea of violence gets planted. So now they're going to take vengeance on Cain. So God has to protect him. Then a short while later in Genesis 4, we read about this guy named Lamech, who brags about how violent he is. He brags about how he uses the sword. If anyone wrongs him, he wrongs them sevenfold. Vengeance. And then by the time you get to Genesis 6, it says that the whole earth was filled with violence. It just escalates. It builds, it builds, it builds. We start this tit-for-tat game. You hit me, I hit you twice, you hit me three times, and it goes on and on and on. It snowballs to the point where God saw he had to start all over. What was supposed to be a slow creation becomes a, a fragmented, disunified creation, and it permeates everything. And this is why, folks, why, despite the fact that humans can be so smart, we can't solve this problem. In fact, there's no indication that we, we've even gotten better, uh, or we're even improving. This last century has been the most bloody century uh, that we've ever had. Um, it's because we, we can't fix the problem because we are the problem. The world, you know, we want peace on earth, but the world is simply a reflection of what's in our own hearts. And as long as we're lacking a shalom relationship with God, it's impossible for us to have a shalom relationship with ourselves, and therefore a shalom relationship with others, and therefore a shalom relationship to the earth and the animal kingdom. Uh, it, it, the lich pit is our relationship with God. And t- as long as humanity is in this fallen state, as long as we're alienated from God... There isn't any strategy that's going to work over the long term. There's no idea that someone's going to get. There's no. There's not going to be any final battle to end all battle. The mother of all wars, where we're going to get rid of all the bad guys. There's never going to be the politician who's going to come up with a bright idea or the nation that's going to finally conquer and impose peace on everything like Rome tried. It's just not going to work. You can have short-term solutions where you can keep people from, you can refrain people from killing one another. And that's good. That's good so far as it goes. But it's 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 always temporary. And it's, even at its best, not anything like the shalom that God plans for creation. What we do, we call it peace when we keep people from killing each other, but what we're doing is putting a band-aid on the cancer. The problem is cancer. We've got cancer in our hearts. Our relationship with God is cancerous. And as long as that is true, all of attempts to bring peace end up just furthering the conflict eventually. We live under this delusion where we look at the short-term solution instead of the long-term solution. It looks like right now it's so easy just to kill your enemy and you solve your problem. But see, when you kill your enemy, you just recruited his two sons to kill your two sons in the next generation, which then recruits their sons to kill their sons in the next generation, and it goes on and on and on. It's like under this demonic delusion, we're short-sighted. We play the short game instead of the long game, and we can't fix it because the problem is deeper than just lacking any idea. It goes to the core of who we are. Now, this is why Jesus is the only real hope for for true peace on earth. He's the only one. This isn't a problem we're going to think our way out of. He came. He came to restore God's shalom here on earth. He came to restore our shalom relationship with the Father, even despite the fact that we're fallen and continue to screw up. Through Christ, it's possible to have a harmonious, holistic relationship with the Father that grows us out of that sin. And because we can have a holistic relationship, a shalom relationship with the Father, through Jesus Christ, we can have it with ourselves, and then we can begin to have it with others, and then we can begin to have it with the earth and the animal kingdom. So Jesus came to be to restore this shalom. He plants the mustard seed of that shalom. Uh and, and the goal is it to, to spread. In fact, not only is Jesus the shalom bringer. He is himself the embodiment of shalom. His name is Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. And so he's fully God and fully human, and as the one who's fully God, he embodies the shalom of God. He is the, the manifestation of the harmony and the wholeness and the integratedness, the peace that is God. And, the, and through Christ, God shares his shalom with us. By doing this, when you surrender to Christ, when you stop being Lord of your own life, and say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Something profound happens in the spiritual realm. A realm we can't see, but we're told about it. Scripture tells us that we are transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In fact, Scripture tells us that we are placed in Jesus Christ. We're put in Jesus Christ. It's some real metaphysical, ontological sense. Our location changes. I like to put it like this. When you surrender to Christ, you get a new address. And the address is in Christ. You are in Christ. And so you find dozens and dozens and dozens of times scriptures that tell us that we're saved in Christ, we're blessed in Christ, we're loved in Christ, uh, we're, we're redeemed in Christ, transformed in Christ, and so on and so on and so on. Everything that's true about us in the kingdom is true because we are in Christ. And that is to be our new identity. And to be in Christ is therefore, since Christ is the shalom of God, it means that when you surrender to Christ, you are placed in the shalom of God. You are smack dab in the middle of the well-being of God, the wholeness of God, the harmony of God, the beauty of God, the peace of God. That's where you live. It, it is in you and you are in it, and that is your true identity. You see? And this is why, maybe it's hard to believe sometimes, but it's, it, it, we have to take it out of faith because it's in the Word. But it means wherever you go, your ultimate environment is in Christ. You are, you are in Shalomville. <laughs> You're in Shalomville. You are surrounded by Shalom. It permeates your being. That is your identity. And so whatever circumstances you find yourself in, however hostile they may be, however frustrating they may be, maybe however anxiety-creating they may be, you have the capacity to experience the shalom of God in that circumstance. You have the capacity to have a, that's why Paul says it's a peace that passes all understanding. Because in situations where the natural understanding says it's time to freak out, This is when I have a meltdown. This is when I blow up. Here's when I take out the gun. In those situations, you are able to, if you access this, have perfect peace that passes all understanding. It is the inheritance of the child of God in every circumstance we're in. Because you're always, wherever you go, you are in Christ. You're smack dab in the middle of the shalom of God. But, and here's the big but. But, that only happens if you are submitted to the peace of Christ. See, it's possible to be in Christ. God doesn't automatically lobotomize us and get everything in our life to line up with the truth about us. Uh, no, our job in this is to yield to what is true. We don't create what is true about us, but we have to yield to it. And so our job is to bring every thought and every word and every action into alignment with what is true about us in Christ. We can live our whole life blocking that out. If we keep on thinking according to the pattern of the world, keep on thinking according to how we were raised and, and, and how we're conditioned to think by the commercials and all that, every single part of our heart and mind and life and action and speaking that is not in line with the truth blocks the truth, keeps us from experiencing it, and therefore keeps us from being a conduit through which that, that truth flows. And so our, our job is to align everything in our life up with what the Scripture says is true about us in Christ. And the, the glory of what, what Scripture says is that, that we are in the peace of God, the harmony of God, the well-being of God. And so as we get our mind to line up with that, we begin to experience that. In every situation, if you allow the, the truth of who you are in Christ to define you instead of your circumstance, you can find a, a, an incredible, incredible sense of peace even when your mind says you ought to be, part of your fallen brain says you ought to be freaking out. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that. If, if you stay mindful and submitted, uh, you can have this sense of peace even though the world is melting around you. Um, and it, it's, a, it, it's a beautiful aspect of the inheritance that we have as children of God. But to the degree that we clog it, you know, we're like faucets. If, if, if To the degree that we're aligned with truth, the truth flows through us. We experience it, and we become a conduit of it. But to the degree that we're not aligned with him, we shut off that faucet. We clog it. And now it's still true about us, but it can't get through, you see. We are called to be the ones who bring peace. This is God's strategy for for bringing peace on earth. When we sing about peace on earth, we're singing about ourselves, because we're the body of Christ. Jesus brings it, but our job is to yield to it, and therefore be used to, to, to let it flow. So as you, this Christmas season, go into family situations that maybe cause you to... Uh, Lack peace sometimes uh, make you anxious. You know, family and friends—they know the buttons to push. They know the triggers. They grew up with you. They know exactly what gets under your goat. And sometimes they like to push those buttons. But see, as, as we go into situations that 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 are filled with anger, we are able to bring peace. As we go into situations that are hostile, we're able to bring gentleness. As we go into situations that that are cursing, we're able to bring a blessing. And so we're able to bring shalom if we're submitted. To the peace of Christ. Which means if we are purging out of our mind, out of our words, out of our deeds, everything that's not consistent with the peace of Christ. Uh, we, as we clothe ourselves with that love, we become people who bind things together rather than a people who continue to tear things apart. Now, I, to, to see how important this is, I, I want us to consider this. In the same way that violence is like the, the most distinctive mark of a fallen person. Uh, The evidence that we are fallen is that we are violent, inclined to violence and we can't stop it. Well, What's also true is that the distinctive mark of a kingdom person, one who is in Christ, centered on shalom, is that you're able to refrain from violence. Not only that, you're able to love your enemies and bless your enemies. And this is the distinctive mark of a kingdom person, according to Jesus. You find this throughout the New Testament. I'll read one verse here. This is Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, in contrast to that Old Testament law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Now, he's talking to a Jewish audience, and when he says enemies... The first ones they're going to think of are the Romans. And most of these people think that the Messiah has come to rally folks against the Romans and overthrow them, crush them. Jesus says, love your enemies and and bless those who persecute you so that you may be. He is here giving this radical love, uh, the, the, making it the precondition for being considered a child of God. It's like if we don't do that, by his criteria, we can't be called a child of God. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that we achieve a, God, a child of God's status by loving our enemies. We don't earn it or anything like that. But what he's giving us here is a, is a like father, like son sort of principle. That um, if we are children of the Father, we share his DNA. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, that kind of thing. And so if, if we're born from above, born by by Abba Father, we have his character within us. Okay, that's part of what it means to be in Christ. And so we have the capacity to love the way he loves. And it's the thing that most distinguishes us from the rest of the world. God loves like the sun shines and the rain falls. We also, being his children, have the capacity to love like the sun shines and the rain falls. The sun doesn't pick and choose who it's going to love. It just does what it does. It's its nature to shine. And rain doesn't pick and choose who it's going to fall on. You don't see any raindrops going, oh, avoid that person. Oh, get this person wet. No, it just falls. It's what rain does. So also God loves, so also the children of God just love. It's not about the worth of the person that is in front of us. It's about our character, who we are. And and the most beautiful aspect of being in Christ, being in the environment, being in in Shalomville, having this identity in Christ, the most beautiful, most distinctive mark of it is that we have the capacity to love like God loves. We have the capacity to refrain from from violence, uh, which the rest of the world lacks, But that only can happen if we are submitted to it, if we align our hearts and mind with it, if we believe that more than we believe the lies that we're told. No wonder Paul said, Above all, clothe yourself in love and let the peace of Christ rule. Above all. Why? Because this is the precondition for being considered a child of God. This is the distinguishing mark. This is what sets you apart. i got to be honest that that it, it just blows my mind that this teaching is the most important thing. If this is the condition, then this is the most important teaching. And it is so clear, and it is so pervasive throughout the New Testament about loving enemies, turning the other cheek, not, not, not retaliating. And yet, I'm willing to bet that 95 or more percent of the churches in America don't touch it. It just blows me away. Uh, or if they do mention the verse, they'll qualify enemies to the point where they become nothing more than grouchy neighbors. Uh, you know, little grouchy neighbors. Folks, Jesus is talking about the, the people who crucified him. The people he died for, uh, the people he prayed for, the people that he refused to have, vi- have violence against to protect himself. Um, uh, they're, 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 they weren't grouchy neighbors. Jesus did not get crucified by grouchy neighbors. He got crucified by the nasty kind of enemies, the killing kind of enemies, the nationalistic enemies. And, and, and those are the kind of enemies that we are called to love. Because we're to love indiscriminately. We're to love without condition. We're to love without, and, and to be that is to be a peacemaker. But see, I don't think we'll get to, the the reason people reject that is because it just doesn't make sense. Surely, surely Jesus doesn't mean that. Well, surely he does. And we gotta at some point decide, are we, are we, is common sense Lord of your life or is Jesus Lord of your life? And that really is the choice because folks, Jesus is not commonsensical. This, this teaching he's given us is radical. It's wild. But it's beautiful and it's non-commonsensical. But what do you expect? Because Jesus is a radical, wild, non-commonsensical kind of a savior. And he, and he gives birth to a kingdom that's radical, wild, and non-commonsensical. And when we sign up and we submit to Jesus, we're signing up for that. That's just what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You purge out of your life everything that has, that's inconsistent with that peace. And when you do that, you will be loving enemies and spreading peace rather than violence and hostility. Well, see, this is why I don't think most people I, I didn't get to this the point where I took this seriously until I got so disgusted with the relentless, mindless, nonstop merry-go-round of hatred and hostility and violence in this world. I got so disgusted I said I would rather die than participate in that. Because gee, Je- that's what Jesus did. He would rather die than participate in that. He could have participated in that. Snap his fingers, legions of angels come and crush all of his enemies. And that's what everyone wanted him to do, and that's what everyone expected him to do. And that's exactly that's what it would have made sense to do. That would have been common sense. But that's exactly what Jesus didn't do. Instead, he told Peter to put away the sword, and he didn't call the angels, and he offered himself up. And then we are dozens and dozens of times told to imitate him on this point. Live in love as Christ loved you, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Uh, love, lo, uh, live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. That's what it means to imitate God. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. So I, I want to end by then bringing this to a close by asking three questions uh, that relate to how, how do we grow in this? How, how, do we, how, how can we be transformed by this? Three, three important questions. Number one, it has to do with the commitment. Everything in the kingdom starts with the commitment. The, commitment the, the, the question is is this. Are you disgusted enough with this relentless, mindless violence to say you'd rather die than participate in that? You'd rather die than contribute to that? You'd you'd rather die than be unfaithful to to the call and the example of your Lord? Are you to the point where you can say that? And if you are, then then, then in your heart, just just say it. Even if you made this pledge before, just say this. There's something about making that pledge. It was only when I made that pledge... Eight years ago, that I began to see in Scripture the clarity of this teaching, which taught me a lot because it means that what we find in Scripture is what we want to find in Scripture, or what our heart allows us to find. We, we we're blind to the degree that our heart's not willing to obey it. Um, that was a standard Anabaptist teaching of theirs. They call it the hermeneutic of obedience. Uh, you, you, that what you're willing to obey, you can't. You just can't see. But our, if you make the commitment, it opens your eyes. I've been amazed at how. It's it's brought such a, a different dimension in my life the last eight years since I made that commitment. Now, if you're not willing to make that commitment, if you're not ready to look at it, that's just where you're at and be honest about it. But can you make this commitment then? God always takes us where we're at. Um, then maybe you feel fear about this; it scares you. It's like, and we are a culture that is addicted to finding security in, in violence, and it's, it's it's our first place we go to. And so I understand that. But but will you make a commitment to ask God to seek God? Take that away from you, that fear away from you. And ask God to to give you more of a courage. Perfect love, cast out fear. Ask him to cast out that fear and and bring you to the point where you can make that commitment. Uh, Because that's what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in your life. We are called to die to ourself. And this, well, this is the only way of living that will eventually work and bring peace on earth. God promises that. That's what the resurrection is all about. It's God's confirmation that this way of living, this way of loving, this way of responding to evil is the only way that that it in the long run wins. But in the short run, it can get you killed, like it did Jesus, like it did all the early disciples. So you may die. But as a kingdom person, you know that that's not the worst thing in the world that could happen to you. Uh, no, that just means you graduate. Uh, the kingdom is characterized by this kind of love, and we're to be preparing our life for that kingdom. And so ask God to give you a broad-range perspective on this. Uh, realizing that this life here now is but a, 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 a nanosecond of eternity. Uh, the real show hasn't even started yet. So the first, the first question is about commitment. The second question is about a source. Here's the thing, and I say this a lot, but it's because it's so foundational. This kind of love, this kind of peace, isn't something we can just crank out on our own. We can't crank out anything on our own. Uh, that's why I, I know Jesus wasn't giving us an achievement contest when he says, "...love your enemies so that you may be children of your father." He's calling on us to manifest something that's already true, not achieve something that's not yet true. And and so everything in the kingdom flows out of a fullness of life that we get from, from God. We can't love like this unless we're receiving love like this. We can only give what we receive. and And, and so the second commitment is this. Will you commit to regularly finding time to commune with God, to get that life that you need in order to live like this? The quality of your kingdom of life will never outrun the quality of your private time with God. That's where we gas up, as it were, to, to for the engine of life to run on throughout the day. Uh, there, there needs to be time. Now, it's good to stay aware. We, we need to stay aware of God throughout the day. But I'm talking about private times where you, where you can uh, experience God loving you, pouring into you. Uh, where you exercise faith. That what God says about you is true. And faith, remember, covered this last week. Hebrews 11. Faith is about seeing in your mind as a substantial reality that which you anticipate, which develops a conviction about, about it being true. It's about a mental vision. That's how we do faith. And so I encourage folks to have time where you envision Jesus loving you. Uh, and just sense him with all five senses uh, let him let him communicate to you what he already says about you in scripture, but now see him communicating it to you with your name it 's personal, see it in his eyes, feel it in his hug, H- however you you do your your, your devotions i you, I go on walks with jesus we 're on a mountaintop we 're running through a field or whatever, but here I know that he loves me this way, and as I get that love, see my my heart is hungry for that. I was made for that, so are you, and as I receive that. Well, that's what gets the cancer out of my heart. That's what begins to liberate me. Um, Paul says, Second Corinthians 3, that as we behold the glory of God, with unveiled minds, he says, the Spirit removes the veil of our minds, so now we can see in our minds what we otherwise couldn't see. And what we see is the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible always tells us to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Not your physical eyes, but your your, your spiritual eyes. And he says, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's what you see that determines what you become. As I see His love for me, I become more loving. As I as I see His peace for me, if I envision my my being in uh, the shalom of God, I, en- I envision that I'm surrounded, I'm drowning in His love, I'm drowning in His peace, His well being. As I see that, I become that. I experience that. I'm bringing every thought into alignment with Christ. You see, uh, as I see Him rejoicing over me, I'm filled with more joy. And 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 the only way I can possibly spread the love and spread the peace and spread the joy is to spend time receiving it. I talk about that kind of prayer in the book Seeing is Believing, uh, if you want to go further with that. But it's, it's about using your whole imagination in prayer to make it experiential and transforming. We always got to be going back to the source. The source, the source, the source. Drink that in. That's what we are created for. And then the third thing is just this. And here I get real practical. Um, you know, athletes athletes, it has to do with the strategy. Athletes don't, world, world-class athletes, professional athletes, they don't just get up and hit a home run having never practiced it or get, on the, the, get a gold medal in gymnastics without practicing it. No, they practice years to do that. It, we, you have to train to get good at something. Well, there's nothing more important than getting good at living a kingdom life. I mean, that's, that's a billion times more important than winning a gold medal. And so we need to be training for this. Uh, it's lifelong training. It's on-the-job training, and a, a great way to rehearse for doing kingdom life is in prayer, using faith in prayer. And faith is about the mental vision. I encourage you to do this. In fact, you can do it right now as I'm talking. Vision a time. You know, we're coming in the ho- we're in the holiday season, and there's family get-togethers, and for some of us, that's not always pleasant. And there's, there's conflicts, you know, and there's things. That, you know, his brother always brings up this. His sister always does. This, his dad always is dad. You know, whatever. And they push your buttons. Or maybe your family's wonderful, but there's the people you work with or your neighbors or whoever. Imagine situations where you are least kingdom-like and see it vividly. You just remember how you typically respond, losing shalom when those things happen. And then run a movie of that same situation, but now see who you truly are. That's exercising faith that what God says about you is true. What do you look like? In that situation, if, if you manifested the shalom of God rather than freaking out like you usually do, what do you look like if you are in that situation and you are aware that you are surrounded, you're you smack dab in Christ, you are smack dab in the middle of God's harmony, wholeness, and peace? What does it look like for you to be clothed in love in that situation? And then see how you respond differently, how you think differently, how you, how you feel differently. And that is the real you. You say to yourself, that is the real me. You're not creating a new thing here, you're just... Getting your life and your thoughts to align with what is true. And see, as you practice that, you're preparing for that situation. And then as you go into the situation, I encourage you to be rehearsing that in your mind. Always be mindful of who you really are. And as you see the sister start to do what she always does, or the brother start to do as he always does, or the drunken dad do what he always does, stay mindful of who you truly are and and see everything we we manifest on the outside is a result of what's going on between our ears. I'm convinced that the the linchpin of the whole kingdom thing is what goes on between our ears. That's where faith happens. What are you seeing? What are you really believing? Um and we'll we'll respond and feel accordingly. But it takes practice. See prayer as rehearsal for life. And then the final thing I'll say is, is just this. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you other strategies that might help. Faith strategies, ways of representing In your mind, what is true about you? And folks, the Holy Spirit is very creative on this. And what works for some doesn't work for others, but ask the Spirit to give you ways of representing truth in your mind. For example, I I, I find one of my favorite things to do is this. When I'm going into a situation that that is maybe threatening or hostile or anxiety-creating or worrisome or whatever, I envision myself being in Christ this way. I, 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 I imagine a bubble around me. And most of the ways that we imagine the stuff will sound silly because we don't. Our, our inner worlds are way more freaky than anyone knows. We just don't talk about it. You know, we, we, we have we got funky imaginations. But the, I, I represent the bubble around me wherever I'm going, and, I, I, and sometimes I just do it because it's it's nice to do. It. it gives me peace. But I really practice it when I'm in situations where I could be more likely to not manifest peace. Because see, I know I am wherever I go. I am in Christ. I am in Shalomville. That is my ultimate environment. Whatever else is true about my environment, this is the most important truth. I'm in Christ. That's my permanent address. And so I just need to get my mind to align with that. And we always think with pictures, and so picture it. And so I envision this. And I find if I'm staying present and envisioning this, 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 this bubbler on me, people can be insulting me or or you know saying whatever. And it's like it bounces off of me. It's like my titanium shield you know i got this force field around me i feel like a jesus superhero nothing nothing can get past this i'm invincible but it's not because of me it's because i got i, I got a shield around me it just empowers me to, to n- nothing gets through um but i'm able to, i'm able to get things through it but they can't get anything through to me i'm able to pass out this love and pass out this peace and so as i'm in my little jesus bubble um i can go to a situation where there's anger and i can bring peace a situation where there's conflict and i can bring harmony I'm, it's another way of saying, I'm clothing myself in Christ, I'm clothing myself with a shield, the love of Christ, and therefore I am submitted to the rule of his peace. Uh, Gandhi said, as I mentioned earlier, we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Uh, the best thing you can do for the world is to be the best you. And the best way to bring peace to this world is to, in fact, the only way you can bring peace to the world is to be installing peace in your mind, in your words, and in your action. Um, because now you're a conduit through which that shalom can flow out there. What, what, what all, it happens usually is people want to fix the world, but they don't fix themselves. And broken people only serve to further break the world. There will be peace on earth someday. He's going to come back and he's going to establish every square inch is going to be manifesting the shalom, the wellness, the perfect harmony of God, and it will be beautiful. But in the meantime, he calls us to be the means by which that mustard seed grows. And this is the distinctive mark of the child of God. So will you commit to surrendering it all to him, submitting to the rule, the the, the rule of his love. Commit to spending time drinking from that source and then practicing strategies in prayer and as you go through life, strategies that help you align your mind and your heart and your life with the truth of who you really are in Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you are here this morning and have any need whatsoever uh, that could use prayer, whether it's physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever, uh, come up and pray with these folks. Uh, they they love to minister to you, and that's what the body of Christ is for, all right? We just stand, and I just want to uh, seal this in a little benediction. As we leave this place, can we do it as a people who are committed to... Uh, committed to our Lord in a way that says we would rather die than participate in the ongoing, mindless, bloody miracle round. People, therefore, who say, I will be ruled by the peace of Christ, and I will commit to purging from my mind and my mouth and my actions everything that is not consistent with that perfect peace. As we, once again, lay our lives down before our Lord, and ask the Spirit to empower us as we leave this place to be the change we want to see in this world. In Jesus' name and all of God's kingdom people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Go out love on the world.